Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Welcome back to our final uh, Tennis Unfiltered US Open daily pod, which hasn't quite been daily, but we'll brush over the details there. Who? What's a few podcasts between friends? That's what this is. I'm James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. George Belshaw's here as well. Uh, Calvin Baton, unfortunately, has been struck down with jet lag, um, which appears to, be, uh, appears to have had some lag time on it, which I can, from experience, <laughs> relate to. Uh, George, your top tips for dealing with jet lag? Um, oof. I'm, not, I'm not sure I have any. I'm, I'm not very good at dealing with it. I just sleep, <laughs> sleep a lot and I'm a bit grumpy for a few days. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's probably tips for how not to do it. <laughs> it usually takes me about a good week, really. They say it's a day for every time zone, but I mean, Australia is 11 hours, and I don't think it took me 11 days to get over Australia. I, f- I feel like it's harder coming back from the US than Australia. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, it, it is because the flight is too short to sleep on. Um, and so you, if you do the red eye, you get on the plane at like 6 or 7 in the evening and you land at 6 a.m. and it's very difficult to get any sleep on that. Well, personally, unless you mm. take drugs for it, um, which I have done, and that does help. Um, but not, not illegal drugs. You need to drugs. talk to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> like perfectly legal drugs. But, uh, yeah, it is hard work. So, Calvin, get well soon. Uh, you have my sympathies. It is not very pleasant. But such is the life of being a top-level Grand Slam coach, I'm afraid, Calvin. It's gonna, it's only going to get worse if you start really winning titles in, uh, in weird places in the world. Anyway, um, let's crack on because today is a historic day, I would suggest. Coco mm. Goff is a Grand Slam champion. She beat Arena Sabalenka 2-6-6-3-6-2 in a US Open final that I think was worthy of the moment. Um, it was... It, it, George, there's so many things to say about this, but I think the first one is we've always said, and we're not alone in this, we're not sort of Nostradamus, we've always said we think Coco Gra- Goff will win Grand Slams. And 
people have often said, well, why do you think that? So, well, because she's got the game for it, she's got the mindset for it, and I think she's now proven that, hasn't she? Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of reflecting on her speech a little bit where she was talking about um, the people who were kind of adding fuel to her fire, who were kind of doubting she'd ever do well. And, you know, I, I suppose, to be fair, this year we we have started to doubt her a little bit, haven't we? I mean, the first six months of the year were, you know, for want of a better word, a bit crap, weren't they? I mean, she wasn't playing very well. She wasn't mm. having many impressive match wins i wouldn't say um you know there's the odd one here or there but it, it it didn't feel like she was getting closer it felt like the gap between her and the likes of sabalenka sviontek rebecca was widening um and uh, that that felt quite disappointing at the time because she has immense star power she has immense quality um, and it felt like that forehand was really going to be the thing that just hadn't improved and was going to kind of let her down. And, you know, I, we, we do rib Calvin a little bit about his potentially worst ever prediction at the start <laughs> of the summer where he said, I can guarantee you this coach, they won't last long and it won't end well. And to be fair to him, he will qualify it by saying, you know, Brad Gilbert wasn't on board at the time. Um, mm. But it's been a remarkable turnaround. It has been. And I think you've got to give her credit for actually going out there, changing the voices in there, um, because it has helped. And I think she had kind of plateaued, to be honest. Um, so, you know, I, I thought she was a little bit over the top in terms of people kind of doubting her. And, you know, that was a very kind of William sister's speech, I thought, where, you know, world sort of against me and... You know, everyone's always doubted and you've just made me stronger. Or, or Murray, to be fair, is very much mm. like that. Uh, we're actually, in my experience, these athletes all get an immense amount of support and everyone's <laughs> kind of willing them to success. Um, it's just, there might be the odd comment, it's like, you've not been playing very well and it's a bit worrying. Um, but yeah, look, she's only 19. She's done fantastically well. Um, again, certain things probably have gone away in this tournament. You know, getting rid of Sviontech with Ostapenko instead was a huge turning point in this tournament that even though she had won that matchup in the build-up that would have been a tough one for her to come through um mm. so you know there's always a little bit of luck on the way but you can only beat what's in front of you and Sabalenka's a huge obstacle um and she overcame it really well and I think you know I'm sure we'll come on to Sabalenka properly in a minute but when we we spoke yesterday about this we said what would be the defining things of the match and one of the things we said about Sabalenka was will she handle the crowd and I, I, to be honest i don't think she actually did really in the end mm. i think that was played a huge part as you can see even in a post-match speech she was kind of she was laughing but she was definitely being like oh you could have supported me during the match and she actually tweeted it later <laughs> which i thought was <laughs> quite funny um but yeah well played to coco and it's it is again great news for tennis full stop um to have her getting over the line and you know Hopefully this isn't a one-off and it's going to be 10 glorious years, 15 glorious years of Coco at the top of the game. Mm. Um, and at the top of the doubles game as well, by the way, because she's also the world doubles number one now, having made the uh, quarterfinals in New York with Jessica Pagula. But that's kind of by the by. Uh, I want to talk about the match itself just a little bit. Um, as I say, two six six three six two. Um It was Kind of, and I don't want to give myself too much credit here, George. You did call it a bit. But I, it's kind of, as I said, where you'd have two sets of each player not, you know, a set each of each player not playing very well, 
Uh, but we did. I think we probably didn't really get the close third set that it needed. Maybe I don't think that makes it much less interesting. It was very close when you look at all the stats. It was like really close. All the points uh, each way were close. Uh, I just think Coco edged it rather than outplayed her. Yeah, I mean Cal- Calvin will hate me for saying this, but a lot of games went to juice. Um, <laughs> And I, I think more importantly, when you were watching it, a lot of the rallies were really tight. I mean, mm. we were talking out by a few centimetres or just being forced into that one extra shot when it looked like that player was totally on top. Um, you know, Goff's retrieving power yesterday was splendid. I mean, she mm. played some brilliant stuff. And even in that final set, okay, you know, Goff raced into a four-love lead, but you didn't quite feel she was there. Like, there'd been enough breaks of serve in the match to think nerves are coming in, and Sabalenka did get one of those breaks back, only then to lose her serve again, which, you know, that that was kind of the disappointment of the final set. You really wanted to just Sabalenka get hold of her serve and keep going. Um, I mean, the, the first set, Goff really, really struggled behind the first serve. I mean, she, I think she only won, like, 40% of points behind it, which is pretty low. Um, and that that swung to about eighty or ninety percent in the second set when and Sabalenka's unforced errors crept up a bit, but that that was the big stat that changed. It felt like Goff. I don't know whether it was more Rafa-esque, material, meticulous kind of planning on the serve, maybe thinking a bit more how she thought the point was going to go, or just finding her spots a bit better, loosening up, kind of sensing you know this match is going to get away from me if I don't you know, really relax here and play my game. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that can come in, but um, Sabalenka, by comparison, she she didn't serve that well. And there were big moments in the second and third set where there was the odd double fault and quite a big point, you know, taking it to 1540 or something, kind of Sabalenka evolved, not quite as dramatically, but, you know, as Calvin would often say, and I'm trying to fill in for him a little bit here, your serve always goes in the the biggest pressure moments. That's that's always the time it's hardest to make those big serves. And I, I felt that Sabalenka couldn't find a big first serve when she needed it. She missed a lot. She was trying to go big on the second serve a few times and not getting it right. Um, it ju- it just wasn't a great day for her. Um, but a tough atmosphere to play in. You know, we said this. That crowd was always going to be vociferously behind Goff. That's it as it showed and you know you, you've got to handle that unfortunately and it probably was a bit of a new experience for Sabalenka and no doubt one she particularly enjoyed hmm. um, I think it was just interesting I was looking at the serve stats and kind of drilling down into them a bit and you know Sabalenka served not exclusively but she served a lot to the Goff back uh, Goff forehand sorry and I think I looked at that and thought I don't I don't think you've been... I mean, look, clearly everyone still thinks the Goff forehand is something they can get after and something they can draw errors out of and something they're not scared of. But I just wondered whether there was any more of a game plan than, you know, <laughs> stick it to the forehand and see what happens. And there's something, again, about actually helping them become become more solid if they know you're going to do that. You know, mm. um, 
not not to keep drawing comparisons to kind of Federer, Djokovic, Nadal and stuff, but Djokovic had a lot of success against Nadal over the years by being the first player who wasn't afraid to go into his forehand. You know, he felt, I can take this on with my backhand. And that was quite a strategic shift that made life a lot harder for Rafa, who was used to people coming to his backhand, which is still a very steady shot. He knew he can keep going in the rallies. And it felt a bit like that from Goff's perspective. She knew she could keep going. She knew she could keep driving it. And she knew she had the athleticism to get to the other side when Sabalenka was trying to change it up and find the winner. Um, so I, I think it's not such a bad shot now, or at least it's been masked to the extent that it can keep her in matches and she's mm. got so many other attributes that um if you're not kind of finding your lines properly with those winners when you're trying to change it up to the other side that it might not end well for you so i was a little bit surprised as well i know we have spoken about the golf forehand being potential weakness but i kind of feel like savalinka should be backing herself anyway i feel you know i think she kind of maybe moved a bit too far away from her own game at times um yeah, as you said though, it was a lot of really close rallies. It was a lot of really close points. It, there really wasn't that much in it. If you watched every single point, there was a lot of tight stuff. It was two players playing pretty decent stuff. Um, just one of them had the better day. Hmm. Um, what do we expect from Coco Goff going forward now? Because you know that typically after someone wins a Grand Slam, especially someone who we always expected to go and win a Grand Slam, it's like, well, how many more is she going to win? Um, I suppose we look at the next slam is the, a hard-court slam, and she will go in as one of the favourites, depending on how her indoor season goes. I mean, indoor tennis, she's generally played pretty well um, on that surface. Do you think she will arrive in Australia as one of the favourites, and, and rightly so? Uh, yeah, I mean, she'll arrive as one of the favourites. It's It's nice to see that new women's big four now of kind of Sabalenka as world number one, which I know it's not the way she'd want to become world number one, losing the Grand Slam final, but that's still a big achievement for her. Then you've got Sviontek number two, who's still winning Grand Slams this year, still very, very consistent, even if she's dipped slightly from last year. Um, Rebakin has kind of faded a little bit after quite a consistent start, but still playing big stuff as the number four. And then you've got Goff, who's been in incredible form this summer on the hard courts. Um, the challenge for her is to have a season-long set of consistency like that. You know, I mean, th- that would be pretty hard. Winning 17 of every 18 matches is, is no <laughs> mean feat. Um, but she, she's got to do it consistently all season round. There's no real reason why there shouldn't be. She is a good clay court player. She has had good results on grass. I don't see it being such a, a shift for her to do well at every slam on paper if you can kind of find this consistency um do i think she'll necessarily go and win the australian open straight off not necessarily i think there's still hard matchups out there for her on the tour um it'd be interesting to see kind of where she goes next with this new coaching setup as a whole um you know brad gilbert does seem to have wound her up a few times this tournament with some of the things he's been doing and he's quite a big personality but um i i hope she kind of makes it stick this little thing it seems to have worked really well over the summer obviously um and you know it'd be very raducado-esque to kind of break that up right now um but i think you know she we've always said she's very primed for success at this level she's always had big matches at kind of junior level she's always 
been in the spotlight, someone everyone has known about in tennis circles for a long time, and even beyond that, from that mm. kind of big Wimbledon breakout. So I don't think much will change for her in the same way. It probably changed quite quickly for Raducanu. Um, you know, there will be a slight bit more. God, she's won the US Open, and there'll be a bit that comes with it. But she was already a pretty big star anyway, to be honest. Yeah. So um, I don't think that much will change. I think it's more about what Sviontek, Sabalenka and Rubak going to do, because I think they're all going to be kicking around next season as elites of the game who can break through Goff. And it, it could be quite a nice tussle if the four of them can start making semis of slams regularly as a group. We might be in prime Big Four territory. That's probably wishful mm. thinking. Well, no, George, we, we, we like wishful thinking. It's nice to be optimistic while Calvin's not here. Um, no, I'm joking. He's he's a consummate optimist when he needs to be. Um, I just My last word on this is going to be Coco Goff's words, uh, where she said, I want to thank people who didn't believe in me. A month ago, I won a 500 title. People said I would stop at that. Two weeks ago, I won a 1,000 title. People were saying it's the biggest title I would get. Three weeks later, I'm here with this trophy now. I tried my best to carry this with grace, but honestly, to those of you who thought you were putting water on my fire, you really were adding gas to it, and now I'm burning so bright right now. And she actually said afterwards in press as well, she said that like 10 minutes before the match, she was just reading comments of people saying she wasn't going to win it to like wind her up. Which... <laughs> Is she more targeting just people online? Is this thing? I, I don't. I've not read many op eds of her winning Washington, being like she's won a five hundred book. But that's it for Coco Golf. I mean, it seems quite an odd. I think yeah, that specific comment is basically aimed at idiots on Instagram. I think, um, but I mean, why not? Um, she she said she said whenever my parents tell me to do something. I always just do the opposite. So I've decided that's how I'm going to motivate myself. And look, it, Novak Djokovic, we've talked about it before. He's someone, and, and he's not, he hadn't, he didn't invent siege mentality, but so many, Eddie Jones, Jose Mourinho, doesn't matter what sport you're in, that siege mentality is a very powerful motivator. There is mm. almost nothing that the human brain likes more, certainly a competitive one, than being told it can't do it. Because, that's what you're built off as a competitor. You are built off, literally, the, the person standing on the other side of the net hits the ball to your forehand, and in doing that, they effectively are saying, I don't think you can hit that back. So it, it's kind of built into the psyche, I think, of every competitor, and why not play to that? Just slightly off topic on that, um, can I just say... I, I cannot stand these interviews after Grand Slam finals. I thought it was just <laughs> so awful. Like trying to, you've got Sabalinka nearly in tears as you're trying to talk about how she's a like kind of crowbar in all. Oh, you must be so proud of this. She's clearly frigging <laughs> furious and devastated. Let's just fucking speak, honestly. And Goff rightly kind of took the microphone and was just like, kind of have this. Yeah. And, you know, gave her a bit. And that's where she said, you know, those comments you. You've just said, James, but I just find it such a stunted way of hearing from people. They should just be able to speak naturally. And if they're not saying much, then ask a few questions. But it doesn't need to be such a leading thing in the first place, in my opinion. I think you can, yeah, there's a balance you struck, isn't it? And it's what Sue Barker was always brilliant at. You know, famously, she just gave Murray the mic when he won it um, at Wimbledon. But yeah, I think I think there is a place, you know, if you get someone who doesn't have that kind of ability to construct a speech or something like that, then yes, I think there is a place for someone to say, oh, but what about this or what about that? Um, but yeah, probably 
at the end Not of the final. Not with these two, really. Mm, both... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they don't need much invitation to talk, either of them. So, yeah, probably probably not a problem. Um, speaking of people who don't need much invitation to talk, George, we've got a men's final tonight between mm. Dino Wevedev and Novak Djokovic, where the speeches will probably go on for several hours afterwards, no matter who wins, um, which is fine. We like people who talk much more than people who don't. Uh, I, For me, there are three different elements to this uh, men's final. There's the physical element, there's the emotional element, and, and then the tactical, technical element. Um, I wonder if we might look at those three. I, I think if you break it down like that, I, I, I'm sort of starting to lean Medvedev, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I rather think that might, be, uh, that might just be wrong. Okay, let's do it one by one. So physically, you would hope... I mean, it's an interesting one physically. I mean, Novak doesn't seem to be showing many signs of particular waning. He can go through quite big, long matches still. He's obviously in incredible shape. I think probably in terms of movement, he moves a lot more naturally than Medvedev um, and covers the court more gracefully, if you like. But you sort of mentioned this yesterday, didn't you, about Medvedev, how you were impressed, how he moved against Alcaraz. I think sometimes for the bigger guys, and I remember Kevin Anderson kind of talking about this, um, he was saying that he was almost taught to move wrong because he was too big and it didn't make sense to be doing that. And it can mm. look a little bit jarring watching bigger guys kind of cross the court. Um, and Medvedev is a bit of a... He's actually... I think he's actually a pretty good mover considering his levers and what he kind of has to to do. But... Um, yeah, it's not quite as compact and neat as like Novak, who's probably the archetypal perfect mover in some ways um, in terms of how he gets around the court. But yeah, from a purely physical perspective, Medvedev's a fit guy. He's gone deep matches at this tournament many times before. Um, I think mental is probably more important than physical for me for this one. I think they'll both be quite comfortable going into long, grueling rallies with each other. That's what they're expecting. Um it, it's more things like, you know, it sounds a bit trivial, but where, where's the crowd going to sit immediately? How's that? You know, it's not like the two of them are necessarily that immediate Roger or Goff or, you know, th there will be people willing both on, I imagine, in there. It could be quite a 50-50 a crowd, potentially. Um, so that that'll be interesting. And both have played the villain before. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's quite a bit of, chat with the umpire that then draws a bit of the crowd in there as well and then it's about how you react to that so I think that that can kind of sit on a balance point as well um, well I can't remember what your third thing was tactical, technical, tactical. tennis yeah I, I, th I think we've seen this match enough times to know that it, it broadly speaking is played out quite similarly, but there are the odd ones where someone does something a bit mental. And I've seen Djokovic play a lot of serve and volley against Medvedev, much mm. more so than he's done before. I've seen Medvedev twat second serves 125 miles an hour to try and throw Novak off. So the two of them have gone at these matches in stranger fashion before. What I would say is they have done that more in kind of best of three matches. I think not so much at a Grand Slam, but I think actually the interesting thing about it is even if someone gets a a two set lead or a two one lead, don't be surprised to see one of them draw 
from those previous matches and those previous experiences and try and do something quite different and quite, you know, they're so evenly matched. I do think it's genuinely like a 50-50 from the baseline sort of match that they will be trying to get those small marginal gains by tactical surprises at key moments. And if it's one of those days where Medvedev's playing too well from the back for Novak, I think you could see him doing a lot of serve and volley, for example, or a lot of drop shots trying to get Medvedev really uncomfortable um, and vice versa, really. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, Daniel Medvedev talked after beating Carlos Alcaraz about how, you know, he was playing against one of the, the best drop shot guys and best serve and volley guys around and how he'd still managed to win it and taking some pride from that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I think Medvedev is very good. Like I always think serve and volley, like if you're going to serve and volley against someone, it's kind of, you're asking them to hit targets, right? Like you're sort of saying, here's, here's the two targets you've got to hit, you know, line and cross, and you've got to hit them very exactly. Um, and I, I don't think Medvedev's bad at that, but he's, I've always thought of him as a length guy rather than a directional guy, if that makes any sense. Like he, when he's, when he's in a rally, he's someone who hits the baseline and gets close to the baseline repeatedly. Um, it doesn't not to say that I'm sure he couldn't hit a can of balls if you put them on the court anywhere you like, but you know. So yes, I can see Novak serving volleying, and and you know I think the the problem is going to be is Novak is tactically so versatile that he can play very differently set to set, and I, I think we are going to find out how much of a problem solver Daniel Medvedev is, and also how much 4D chess he can play. You know how much he can be like right. Novak's just started doing this. He's going to do this for the rest of the set, probably. What am I going to do to make that more difficult to do? Don't don't underestimate the importance of the serve as well in this. And, you know, this is where I think Novak does have the upper hand in that his serve is consistently very, very good in big moments, whereas Medvedev's can go either end of the scale. And I don't mean that necessarily like he's always serves badly under pressure. That's not true. Sometimes he serves remarkably under pressure, but I think that kind of gap between the good and bad is much more dramatic than Novak's, which operates within a relatively steady kind of 70% sphere. I think, um, you know, there's the odd match I've seen of Novak where he's been rolling in second serves a bit weirdly when he's tight, but on the whole, um, against opponents he knows quite well i think he does generally serve pretty well these days and it's been yeah it's got to the point now where everyone says it's an underrated shot to the point it's definitely not everyone knows novak's got a good serve now Mm. um but it is worth stating that even though i think medvedev's is bigger and on its day is a much more ferocious weapon um it's more erratic so i think how they both kind of serve is going to be quite an important element of this because they're both good returners on the whole. Um, Novak especially, obviously. Um, what do you think would be... And this is a loaded question. I'm not going to ask it. I was going to say what <coughs> do you think would be the best thing for tennis. Mm. Um, it, it would be good for tennis. You know, I'm kind of torn, actually. I, I'm going to ask that question. I, I can see that Daniil Medvedev winning would be good because it puts another name back in there. It, it gets people thinking that tennis is not just Djokovic and Alcaraz. It is more than just that. Um, but equally, you know, there, there's some history on the line for Novak and I think, you know, it's valuable for, for, for tennis for him to create that as well. So I'm kind of, mm. kind of torn. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, from, from 
that kind of third wheel perspective, I think, for Medvedev to beat Alcaraz and Djokovic back to back is pretty big. That mm. that is really something that will get people sat up. You know, people are saying to me, Oh, yeah, Novak and Alcaraz are gonna play again in the final, aren't they? So for someone to go and blitz through both of them potentially, um, would have people looking at that result and thinking, oh, hang on, this guy might not be quite done yet. Um, I, d- I don't think there's a bad result in this one as long as it's a good match. I think that's the more important thing. Um, I think there's something quite nice about Novak, potentially. You know, Some people won't agree with this, but I think if Novak gets to, say, 25 Grand Slams as the outright player who, of all time on both sides, you know, putting aside historical differences or whatever, you know, that, that that is the figure people will refer to and say, you know, particularly Novak's forces, he's clearly the uh, the goat, if you like. Yeah. Um, I think that makes the arc with Alcaraz taking over that better as well. You know, even though everyone knows Djokovic is a great of the game, I think if you can still have Novak potentially winning slams the next year or two, he's obviously already won two this year, so he's far from done, but it, it it'll make it'll increase Alcaraz's stock if he's playing a, a Novak who's still at that level, rather than one who's, you know, starting to, to decline. Um, so I think kind of having Novak at his at this sort of level for another eighteen months to two years, with the Alcaraz rise, with Bedvedev still being around there, making kind of strong competitive semi-finals and finals. I think that's probably the best tennis can really hope for at the minute. Mm. Men's tennis, women's tennis, <laughs> looking good too. Yeah, women's tennis is fine. I mean, <laughs> like, it's uh, honestly. I, I was thinking about this last night on the on the way home on the metro. Um, it it really is at a, a really good place now. Like, I, look, probably this will all go to pieces, and we'll have like I don't know, a Gracheva against. Uh, Australian Open final that no one watches and everyone back home doesn't care about. But if that happens, by the way, uh, can you imagine? Um, well, but had, it is um, a good place. Yeah, you've had Sabalenka, Sviontek, Goff, Djokovic, Alcaraz as the the main grandson winners. Vondrasova is the other one who has been the outlier <laughs> and the more typical women's tennis winner, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you chuck Medvedev in as the sixth kind of big name to win a slam this year, that's great. You know, seven of the eight slams being won by one of the best three or four players on either tour is really good news for tennis, I think. Like, just having that, those identifiable players, the problem is, can they just keep doing it? And that's where the women's side will change more. You know, if this is the same every year for the next three years that these three, four players are trading blows, exchanging slams, okay, you'll have the odd random winner occasionally. That's fine too. But that that level of consistency will get people to know who they are, get interest in the big matches. Talk about maybe Naomi Osaka coming back as well, Raducanu, we hope from a British perspective. Um, there's a healthy number of players who could be kind of big stars on, on both sides of the tour, probably still looking for one more man to step up, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say tennis, considering what it looked like two years ago, uh, has, has made some pretty good strides, I think. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, George, I think that's probably uh, enough talk about this men's final, given that we also did our predictions yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm... You changed your prediction. It was going to be my no. final question because you sounded like you talking yourself into a bit of a Medvedev win. All of nah, I, I think that would be that would be foolish. I think Djokovic in five remains my position. Um, that because I think that is that is the right combination of reality and dreamland that goes on inside my head. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm sticking with it. Have you changed yours, George? No, I don't think so. I think Djokovic in a, a type four with a bit of drama. Yeah, we do love drama. Um, that's all we've got time for. I hope you've enjoyed all these podcasts, uh, whether you've been listening to them, whether you've been watching them on YouTube, uh, which is uh, a whole new thing. Um, but lots of people have. Lots of people. And YouTube comments, it turns out, are a whole new world. Uh, it's, I, it's... I'm having a whale of a time having a look through them. <laughs> <laughs> Great fun. Uh, they, it seem, they seem to insult me less there and to go more on Calvin, which I enjoy. Right. It's like yeah. the opposite of the... Uh, the review world i think <laughs> well we did get a lovely comment uh the other day on youtube which said that calvin is the um calvin is the best what was the word he's the best podcast contributor anywhere <laughs> i thought was i mean it's big praise um, I mean, we agree we think he's right obviously yeah i mean yeah i, I I wouldn't like to blow too much smoke, George. Yeah. But, he is uh, good, isn't he? I mean, yeah. He's opinionated uh, I, and knowledgeable, which I think is the uh, the ideal combination. Not yeah, to get right, too much right. past the fourth wall. Look, here. there's a reasonable chance he's actually going to listen to this, so can, can we not say too many nice things about him? He's fucking bald. Um, yeah. He also fucked up the golf prediction. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you say, I mean, I think you're going to have that argument tomorrow when we do our big wrap-up pod, I'm afraid. Um, my favourite one, because uh, we do, this is a very side note, George, but it wound me up on YouTube last night. Uh, I, I put subtitles on our YouTube videos because some people watch them on mute. But um, I actually don't quite have time to uh, like edit the subtitles for yeah, the fact that wacky. we're doing like 35 minutes of podcasting every day for two weeks, uh, which I then have to edit and then edit the video. And, uh, and then apparently I should be editing the subtitles as well. Uh, because someone said... Please proofread your subtitles. AI is good. The irony is his YouTube comment is filled with typos. Uh, <laughs> AI is good to auto-generate subtitles, but a quick check would help in removing so many mistakes in them. To which I replied, here's your choice. Unproofread subtitles or no subtitles at all. Please let me know what you choose. Um, so, you know what? Let, let us know in the YouTube comments. Would you prefer no subtitles or unproofread subtitles. Uh, and obviously, if you're listening on mute, then you'll have no idea what I'm saying because I'm not putting subtitles on. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, I will put subtitles on because it's important. But, um, yeah, there you go. There's my little rant over. Um, we will see you all tomorrow when we will be in a brave new world, either where Novak Djokovic has won 24 Grand Slams or Daniil Medvedev has his second. Podcast Network.